Today's scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 24. Um, page 983 in your Red Pew Bibles. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now, now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. This is our fifth study in chapter one, and so we'll be wrapping up chapter one here uh, this morning. And uh, before we start, let's pray. Lord, we are in need of you to gain deeper understanding of your word, and we ask Holy Spirit that you would fill us with this knowledge, fill us with what you desire us to understand and to know. And not just for knowledge's sake, not just for conviction's sake, but that we would indeed be transformed more into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for these people this morning, and I pray, God, that whatever message that they're needing to hear, that there would be an encounter with you this morning, that they would definitely sense your presence with them in their life, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, when we're thinking about the greatest threat to the Christian church, we, we tend to think various things, and so maybe some things are going through your mind now as to what you think is the greatest threat to the church is, and if we were to take a poll and just ask each one of you, and we'd probably get all these different answers as to what the biggest threat is, and, and we'd get a variety of them, and each one of you would be able to make an argument as to why you believe the threat you think is the greatest to the church is the greatest threat. Um, we're going to be taking a look at what the Apostle Paul wrote was the greatest threat to the church in Acts chapter 20. It's not to say that your threat is wrong thinking or anything like that. It's what he was addressing with the early church here. And this was when Paul was serving the Ephesian church um, in Acts chapter 20. He was serving there for three years. And we'll, we'll pick up his story here, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And I know we're in Colossians, but I'm just trying to have an introduction. So verse 28, Acts chapter 20. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to take care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, 
will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And I want to draw our attention to that phrase, from among your own selves. Because when we think of threats, we tend to think of outside threats, things outside of the church. It's not people from outside that Paul is saying is the greatest threat. It's people from within. So these false spiritual influences from within will be the greatest threat to lead people away from God. And we can even look at Jesus' own circles and Jesus' own relationships. Who was he most severe, most harsh toward? The, the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the, the most religious, the most devout to God. And you look at what Jesus said to them in Matthew chapter 23. It's a long list of woes that he gives to the scribes and Pharisees. I'm just going to pull out a few of them just to give us an idea. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And skipping down to verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. In verse 33, you serpents, you brood of vipers, How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? So Jesus, how do you feel about the Pharisees? How how do you? You know, the outsiders are are really, really easy to identify. You know, somebody, if if you've been coming to this church a while uh, regularly, you start noticing the people that are here regularly. You start noticing who's here, and then you start noticing who's newer. Uh, not all the time, because sometimes we aren't that familiar with everyone, but as you familiar, familiarize yourself with people who come here regularly, you, you kind of get that, and it's those insiders who are the greatest threat. So look to your neighbor. And, um, but that threat is really, really challenging to spot, and that was the challenge in Colossae that they, they weren't able to necessarily identify the threat. And so Paul's addressing this, and he does this by putting out the truth so that the false can be spotted. And so what are these truths that Paul is writing about? And we're going to find them today in our scripture through Colossians. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. So what Paul does is he goes back to the source. He goes back to the origin of why he's doing what he's doing. So from whom did the ministry come from? And so if it's anyone else other than God, then that's not a good sign. See, Paul didn't just suddenly decide for himself that he was going to go into ministry work. It was God who commissioned him. You look at verse 25. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me. 
It's God who commissions his servants. It's not people. God chooses his own instruments. People don't decide who are God's instruments. It is God who decides. God is the source of his own work. He entrusts his people, and the word of God is used to test whether people are indeed commissioned. People may assume their place because people, other people have put them there or they've put themselves there, but it is God who appoints people. And this is what happened in the book of Jeremiah. Take a look at the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 23, starting in verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. So this false spiritual influence, and we as a church, we need to discern between what is false and what is true. There are many ways we can be influenced. There are many ways that we can take this ministry, but is it commissioned by God, or is it something that people are coming up with, and they are just assuming things? Is it something that we are doing, but yet it's not commissioned by God, that we're steering something, but it's not given by God? Back to Jeremiah again. Verse 30, chapter 23. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steals my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lied and their rec recklessness when I did not send them or charge them so they do not profit this people at all declares the Lord. False influences, false prophets, false teachings, and they're coming up with this stuff from their own ideas, from their own thoughts, and they claim that they are gods when they're not. Just because people say things that sound really, really great, and just because they say God spoke it to them, doesn't mean that it's true. Are they commissioned by God. And so how do we know? We use the word of God to see if what they say aligns with the word of God. So as a church, we again can be pulled a lot of different ways. We have so many needs around us. There are so many things that people want us to focus our effort on as a church. But where does God call us? And this is really, really challenging to discern because Whenever you say no to something or to someone, they're not going to like it. But we need to stay true to what God calls us as servants to do. We are servants to God. We are servants to the church. We do not demand. We serve. And something about servants is that we also suffer. Look at Paul's suffering here in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Servants don't have it easy. And it implies it in the very word, doesn't it, servant? We, we suffer. We suffer for others. We suffer for the sake of the gospel and what we're commissioned to do. We suffer for the church. 
Christ's death is enough for all of our sins, but the enemies of Christ still take out their hatred toward Jesus against his followers, like Paul. And this is what this verse is speaking about, that there are still Christ followers who live and suffer for Christ because the hatred against Jesus Christ continues today against his followers. So our flesh filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions is not about the transformational work of Christ on the cross. It's about how we will continue suffering for the sake of the gospel and the church. What is the church? The church is essentially the called. The called. Those called out of darkness, out of alienation, as Paul has written earlier in Colossians, and into the light. It's, it's this living organism. Sure, there's an organizational structure to it. Sure, there's, there's a, a physical building that we meet in. But it's not necessarily those things. It's a spiritual place where people encounter Jesus, where we're called out of alienation and into a relationship with God. We are the church. It's not this building, because this building can be turned into lofts as other churches have been turned into in Oakland. But it's us. And hopefully through us, people encounter Jesus. So within the characteristics of a biblical ministry that Paul is writing about, we we need to look at the source of that ministry, the, the commission of the ministry, and we need to recognize the service of the church, which is what Paul and servants of Jesus are called to. Not church as in this building structure, but church as in the body of Christ. We are called to serve the body of Christ, the church, the one instrument on earth by which Jesus Christ manifests the invisible God through himself to a world that needs God. And the primary way that we do this is we make the word of God fully known, verse 25 We don't point to other things, such as we don't point to acts of service. We don't point to subtopics of the Bible. We make the word of God fully known. And it's through commissioned people, not people who appoint themselves. You take a look at 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. So we don't commend ourselves. And here's another thing that we don't do. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So true today, isn't it, amongst churches? Paul made the word of God fully known. His ministry wasn't determined by the culture. It wasn't determined by consensus or people's passions or people's causes that they wanted to champion or things that they wanted to hear or like to hear or, or just desired to hear. We present the word of God in its fullness 
to make the word of God fully known. And that is why, since the day we started, we expound the scriptures every week, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We are committed to the systematic exposition of the scriptures to make the word of God fully known. That's what we do. What does this mean? What does making the word of God fully known mean? Well, we're going to look at that a little bit more in verse 28, but let's just take a look at verses 26 and 27 first, and we'll, we'll head back to that. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's face it, religions all have something mysterious about them, including Christianity. It's one of those things that draws people to religion. And sometimes religions have these secret things about them that you don't learn about them until you get a little deeper into that religion, and then you kind of see these things. Again, even in Christianity. And we see this today, especially amongst more charismatic circles, that there are Christians who believe that you have to have certain spiritual experiences in order to be a true follower of Jesus. And so it's kind of like this in Colossae. Right? There, there were some from Christ, the Christian faith in Colossae who were believing that, you know, there's this other element, this mystery of how to be a real Christian. And this is how you, you're going to be a real Christian. And here's an example of this, of what was happening in Colossae. Circumcision. Skip over to chapter 2, verse 11. And Paul writes about circumcision, and he writes... In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So Paul addresses this because there were certain Jewish Christians in Colossae who told Gentile Christians, this is how you really fully experience the full faith is you need to go through circumcision. Again, this is happening today. We, we tell people that they have to do certain things to fully experience Jesus, to fully experience Christ. You have to do these things. And so if it's not circumcision, then it's something else. But the mysteries of Jesus aren't intended to remain mysterious, even though there are elements of God that will always be mysterious because he's God. And so here's something that's mysterious about the Christian faith. This phrase, Christ in us. Isn't that mysterious? I mean, what do, you, what do you mean Christ in us? And so it's not until you delve deeper into the Christian faith that you find out that we are participants of Christ's victory. That it's not just a religious thing that's happening when Christ is in us, but it's a relational thing. Here's another mystery. The Holy Spirit indwelling in us. What? And if you are a brand new believer in Christ, that's probably one of those things that you're like, what, what does this mean? I, what does that mean? And so then we delve a little deeper and we turn to John chapter 14 and we look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then we explain to people that's the Holy Spirit. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the ultimate ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bring Christ to dwell in us, for God to be with us. 
so is Christ in you this morning. The mystery of Christ is not meant to be this exclusive secret that belongs to just a few. It's a mystery that is to be revealed to all. It's the gospel, and it's for us to share with the world that Christ wants to be in you, the hope of glory. This is one of the huge differences between a Christian and a non-Christian is that the Christian has Christ in us, the hope of glory. Continuing on in John chapter 14, verse 19, it says, Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In the day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Then Paul writes about God being for us. He writes about us being in Christ. And, then, and when Paul writes about Christ being in us, he writes about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We can also turn to Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 16. And Paul wrote to the Ephesian church there that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The Holy Spirit brings us to this realization of Jesus Christ's divine blessings. People have lots of ways of describing the Holy Spirit and what's done in the presence of the Holy Spirit, whether it's powers or gifts or praising and signs and wonders and worship, whatever that may be. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the presence of God with us. Ultimately, that's what it is, to dwell with us. And how the Holy Spirit manifests in us is not the most important thing. It's simply that God is with us. Are you in Christ this morning, and is Christ in you? Have you experienced the Holy Spirit indwelling you? And if not, or you don't know, you ask by faith and it will be so. We're not trying to convince you to join this church. What I'm pleading with you is that you have the presence of God in your life. It doesn't have to be here. But God needs to be present in your life. What are we presenting as a church? When we present regeneration, are we more talking about our programs? Are we talking about our small groups? Are we talking about our community? Are we talking about our service? Are we talking about whatever it is, which are all really, really good things? But when do we talk about Jesus? Are we making the word of God fully known where Jesus is the center of that? Because anything else other than Jesus is a really, really poor substitute. We need to be careful of these false influences from within who may lead us to something else. Verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is making the word of God fully known that we must proclaim Jesus. Not something about Jesus, but Jesus Christ, God. 
that we are pointing people directly to Jesus. This is our message in one word. It's a Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. Right? The, the, the treasures of everything God has said in the scriptures is Jesus. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You can turn to Hebrews, and the author of Hebrews writes, chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times, in the many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. We present Jesus as the church. Who he is, not just what he does, or how he does them, or why he does them, but to make him fully known. We look at the church in Corinth, which was very well known for its immorality. A very cosmopolitan city, full of diversity, because it was along a major trade route. People from all over the known world were going through there. And there were, at that city, many, many, many causes that Paul could have championed. Many issues, many concerns, many needs. Sound familiar? just like any other big city, just like Oakland. And out of all the many issues of a society and what the culture faced there, what did Paul focus on? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul decided to know nothing else. The main objective was to share Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we as a church need to be resolute about this. We, we can't veer from Jesus, otherwise we cease being the church, which is God's only instrument of spreading the good news of the gospel. He has decided that it would be his bride, the church. See, we're not merely champions of projects or causes or issues. They can be secondary. They can be secondary matters, but we primarily champion Jesus Christ and in him crucified. That's what we do as a church. The church is not primarily a social services organization. We have a part but our primary role is to make the word of God fully known. And if we don't heed Paul's warnings, we will fall victim, just like many other churches already have throughout church history, just like many organizations that started out as Christ-centered ministries have turned into, who have lost their gospel effectiveness and they've traded it for a social impact, which anyone without Christ could fulfill. You're not needed for that. What you're needed for, what your specialty is, which is why you are holy, because you are set apart for a special purpose, is to share Jesus Christ. Anyone else can do the social impact stuff, but we are the church. This is our calling. We are called to fulfill something else that nobody else can unless they have Jesus in them. And it's to share the good news about him. It's to share him. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you and I are commissioned to deliver that message. 
There is no other social organization that can deliver that message. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them, indwelling in them. And if we are about anything else but not Jesus, people remain alienated from God. We need to share Jesus. And in order to share Jesus, we need to know Jesus. And we can't fully know Jesus without fully knowing the word of God. And this takes effort. It takes work. It takes discipline, which we'll get to shortly in verse 29. We need to address maturity here found in verse 28. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is something that all of us desire, isn't it? We desire people to reach maturity. If you have a 40-year-old that's still living in your home, that immaturity is frustrating. It's uh, disappointing. It's saddening. It can even be maddening. And this is no matter what it is. You know, you start, your, you start out in T-ball, and hopefully when you're 20, you're not still hitting off of a tee that you've actually learned to hit a ball that's pitched to you, right? Or when you go to school, you don't just remain in kindergarten. Like hopefully you can graduate high school at some point. And the same with anything in life. Whatever you're learning, or if you're exercising, or whatever it is, that lack of maturity is a really, really frustrating thing, and it's no different when it comes to spirituality. We are to grow. We are to mature in our faith and our relationship with God. And, and just like any relationship, there needs to be effort and time and energy invested into that. There's no way to reach maturity in our relationship with God if all it is is coming to church once a week for an hour or so. Or even twice a week if you go to a small group and so then it's two hours a week you've invested into that Think about this. How would your relationship with your spouse or your kids or your family or friends or anyone who's really, really important in your life be if all you invested into the relationship was an hour a week? Now, some of you are probably wishing for this with your spouse. Um, and if that's the case, um, let's talk. Let's, let's, let's talk about that. But we know that no matter what that relationship kind of is, that if it's a really, really important one to you, and all you're doing is investing an hour a week into it, it's not going to be as deep of a relationship as if you spent more time, invested more time with that person, and found out what their thoughts were, what their dreams were, what their fears were, what they were, what causes them pain and hurt, and, and all those deepening sorts of things. It just won't be as rich and deep. It won't mature. And if there's to be any progress, any maturity, any growth, just like anything else in life, to be healthier, to gain more knowledge, to gain more understanding, it takes effort. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes discipline to set aside those times to talk. To set aside those times to invest into the relationship, you, you have to do those things. And so Paul tells us to do this by warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, warning people when they're misaligned, to, to be in alignment with the Word of God. Misalignment's not a good thing. 
I mean, just imagine your car that is off of alignment and it causes a bunch of problems in your car. It wears on your tires, you get bad gas mileage, you constantly have to readjust how you're driving because your alignment's off. And so are we aligned to the word of God? You see that that warning light on your car is is a good thing. And, And it pops up, it lets you know that something is off with how your car is operating. And and many times, people take others' warnings as offensive or that it's not your business or leave me alone. Why do you keep bringing this up? You're just kind of getting in my business. But do we tell our car that? You know, the light pops on, check engine oil light pops on, and you're like, mind your own business. You know, like can't believe you're getting in my business. I, I, I want to just keep driving. I, I, I want to drive across country. I don't really care if the light's on. I don't, I don't care about that. Leave me alone. I, I don't want to change the oil. I'm not going to change the oil. So there, I'm going to keep driving. I'm going to Maine from here. Well, you, you keep doing that, and um, you're going to end up with a much, much more expensive repair than if you just simply change the oil. Misalignment, that's with lots of stuff. You know, when people get hurt exercising or in their sports or something like that, it's usually because they're not aligned right with how their body got injured. The ministry of the Word of God, it does rebuke. It does correct. It, it, it does confront. Because we're to look out for one another. Now I realize there are people who just love to be warning signals. They love it. They just love it. They like to call everything. And I know, just like you know, they are extremely irritating. We know. I have a lot of people in my life who believe that they're my warning lights. Believe me. And they believe that they're my pastors, or they believe they're my mentors, they believe they're my counseling, they believe they're my friends, they believe they're my whatever. It's frustrating, I know. It's irritating, I know. But I have had to learn, and I'm not perfect at it. I I keep growing at it. But I have had to learn that I just listen. I discern who it's coming from. I I weigh it. And then I act upon it. So I, I take it. I listen to it, or I read it, or whatever it is. And then I pray about it. And then I compare it to the word of God. And if it's in alignment, if it's something for me to receive, I receive it. And if it's something for me to disregard, I disregard it. But I'll I'll take a look at the light. I'll pop the hood and see like, no, man, my engine oil is clear. I just changed it last month. So it's not really the oil, it's the light. So sometimes it's the warning light that has the problem. You just need discernment. There's a lot of warning lights that have problems. Same thing goes when someone wants to teach you something. You know, people always want to give you something, right? And especially when it, whenever you're teaching, you always get input from people. Hey, so what about this? Or what about that? Or like, and you're always hearing this stuff. And for me, I'm, sometimes it's like, you're right. Man, I should have put that in and I'm going to include it in my notes next time around or second service, I can include that. And other times I'm like, you're way off. Like, that is not the context of the scripture at all. 
And so you just have to weigh those things. You have to discern. So if I'm taught something, something, share something, I, I weigh that again. Who is it coming from? And kind of what's the credibility there? What's the discernment there? And if it's something that is maturing me in Christ, I receive it. If it's something that is not maturing me in Christ, disregard it. And you don't have to be defensive about it. It's all about maturing in Christ. If it helps, accept it. If it doesn't, you move on. Now, when we talk about our church, there are many, many ways to describe our church. And a lot of times, the easiest way to describe our church is just talk about what we do, right? Or what we're about or how we think. But I'm, I'm hoping that from this Colossians 1 study that we can boil it down to two things. One is that we make the word of God fully known, or that at least we try. This is our attempt. We want to make the word of God fully known in our church. And the second thing is presenting everyone mature in Christ. That we're not there. It's an aspirational goal. That we would love for those two things to happen. That we would love to make the word of God fully known. And that we want people to mature in Christ. And so those are the types of questions I hope run through your head as to how are we making the word of God fully known? How are we maturing people in Christ? And hopefully that can help shape the things that you're doing in your small groups. Or, or in ministries that you're wanting to see, or in ministries that you're serving in, are people being transformed by the word of God? Are they maturing in Christ? Now, let's wrap this up, verse 29. For, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The power we draw from God to do God's work is from God. And how often are we actually drawing power from ourselves? Now, of course, we put forth effort because Paul writes, for this I toil. But in our struggle, in our toil, in our work, we are reliant on the power of God. We know serving takes work. And as we work, we will be empowered. We must contend for the faith, and God will simultaneously do his part. See, there's no coasting in this sort of stuff. And often God partners with us in things, that there needs to be a step of faith on our end, and God meets us there. Take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to do his will and work for his good pleasure. You see, you start working, and then God empowers. You put in the work, and God will meet you there. God will display his power when we're at work. His, his power will be shown through us, but we have to put forth the effort. You notice how Jesus works quite often when he is healing people or when he asks people to take a step of faith, like Peter. Peter, step out of the boat. Now, if Peter doesn't step out of the boat, he does not walk on water. And Jesus, God, simultaneously meets him there in that step of faith. 
that he makes this, the water solid enough for Peter to walk on. Or the guy with the withered hand. Stretch out your hand. He, he doesn't just heal the guy's hand. And then he's like, oh. He actually tells him, stretch out your hand. And as this is happening, he's being healed. Or the lepers. Right? As the lepers are coming and going, they're being healed. He doesn't heal them right away and then it happens. There is an element of faith. And it's the same thing. I know at times when you embark on a new ministry or thinking about serving or think about sharing the gospel or think about doing whatever in Jesus' name for the sake of the church, for the sake of the gospel, there's this kind of scary feeling and there's this doubt feeling and there's just this, I don't know. That's when you do it. That's when God meets you. That's when the power is there. And he simultaneously meets you there as you take that step. Are we putting forth the effort? Are we at work for Jesus in whatever our sphere of influence is, whether that's in our community, in our neighborhood, in whatever type of groups, social groups, gatherings you're in, um, where you work? And whenever we take that step of faith, whether it's sharing Jesus or serving somebody, God will empower us to do that work. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that um, you've chosen us to go about sharing your love to the entire world. You've given us a special message that it's only through Jesus Christ that we can be reconciled to God, that we will no longer be alienated from God. Lord, may we take our charge more seriously. Um, I think there are so many times where we can get distracted by these easier things and we don't focus on the more eternal things. And so we focus on projects and causes and issues which are extremely important and they are important in bridge building and opening up doors and conversations but I pray that we wouldn't just stop there that we would complete the story of how you desire reconciliation with a broken world in Jesus name Amen